The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 147 Josiah's Crusade Against Idolatry When King Manasseh died, his son Ammon succeeded him to the throne. Judah's new king rejected his father's repentance and wholeheartedly embraced idolatry. Many historians have noted that the idolatrous kings of Israel and Judah had short reigns and often tragic endings. So was the destiny of Ammon. After reigning only two years, his servants conspired against him and murdered him. The inhabitants of Judah were outraged by the assassination. They hunted down the usurpers and put them to death. Ammon was buried near his father in the family tomb in Jerusalem. No one suspected that these bloody events would bring new hope for the nation. The next successor to the throne was Ammon's eight-year-old son, Josiah. This young king was aided early on by many advisors and counselors who had ambitions and values from previous regimes. By the time he was in his middle teens, Josiah became captivated by the accomplishments and exploits of David, Israel's greatest king. When he was 20, King Josiah began a lifelong campaign of ridding the nation of idolatry. He first outlawed all forms of pagan worship. He then sent out teams of loyal men to seek and destroy every idol, grove, and pagan altar in Judah. The teams thoroughly combed the land, mile after mile, dismantling every form of idolatry they found. The inhabitants of Judah had been falling in and out of pagan religions for hundreds of years, starting with King Solomon. The nation had become filled with these images of stone and wood. Josiah was determined to turn them all into powder and ash. His teams became so zealous that they even ventured into the northern kingdom. By this time, most of the Israelites had been taken captive by Assyria. Josiah's teams made use of those pagan altars once again. Instead of burning incense to pagan gods, however, they used the altars to burn the bones of the religious leaders who had led Israel into idolatry. As righteous reforms spread across the country, Josiah moved to restore proper worship inside the temple at Jerusalem. Years of neglect and idolatry inside God's house had damaged the temple, and it needed repair. True worshipers of God and those sympathetic to Josiah's cause began to send offerings to the capital city. Their tithes and the generosity and sacrifice of their gifts 
mostly made in silver, allowed the king to restore the temple. He hired carpenters, builders, and masons. They used the best timber and materials to refurbish the house of God. The workmen were making great headway when Hilkiah the high priest made an important discovery within the temple. It was a copy of the Book of the Law. Throughout the years of the nation's rebellion against God, so many copies of the law had been destroyed that finding this one was a great surprise. This scroll of the law, containing the first five books of the Old Testament, was written on an ancient sheepskin. Near the top of the scroll was the signature of Moses, the human lawgiver to Israel. Hilkiah was excited to realize this was a copy written by Moses' own hand. Historians believe this copy of the law had been kept beside the Ark of the Covenant. King Jehoshaphat had reproduced copies of the law to educate the entire nation on God's law. Since that time, many wicked kings had reigned and had ransacked the temple. Yet this master copy had been preserved, no doubt because of its place in the Holy of Holies next to the Ark. Hilkiah quickly sought out the king's scribe, Shaphan, and other officials to present the precious scroll to the king. When the high priest had requested an audience with him, the 26-year-old king wasn't sure what to expect. As the men walked into his chambers, the excitement on their faces was plain to see. O oh, king, thank you for seeing us, Shaphan began. We have discovered a most interesting artifact in the temple. It is a scroll of the law, signed by Moses himself. King Josiah could scarcely believe it. He immediately asked Shaphan to read some of the ancient texts aloud. Josiah knew that the law contained God's expectations for him as king, for the people of Judah, and for their future. Shaphan read from the book of Deuteronomy. He focused on the section he believed would have the most impact on the king, the scriptures dealing with the blessings for national obedience and curses for national sin. As Shaphan read, the words hit the king hard. Josiah grew distressed as the scroll clearly outlined Judah's imminent fall because of the people's sins. Josiah grabbed the neckline of his tunic and tore it apart. It is clear by the words written in Moses' own hand that this nation is about to face the wrath of God for our great sins. Josiah declared, We must seek God's counsel immediately, see if there's anything we may do to bring his mercy. A true prophetess of God named Huldah lives at the college, Hilkiah the high priest told the distraught king. Go seek her, ordered Josiah. Ask her what shall become of this nation and what we should do. Hilkiah, Shaphan, and a handful of other high-ranking officials immediately departed to speak to the prophetess. God uses righteous women to fulfill his purpose when there are no righteous men in Israel. God always reveals his intentions and warnings to the prophets to declare before he acts. It seems God told his prophetess that these men were coming and even what to tell them. 
before they arrived. When they explained the situation and the king's questions, she had an answer from God immediately. Tell the king that the eternal God of Israel will bring evil, misery, and judgment upon this nation for rejecting him and turning to false gods. Huldah informed the royal party. As Moses wrote in the law, so will punishment come on this nation. God's promises and warnings never fail, and nothing can be done to alter God's decision. The party was dismayed to hear those words, but the prophetess continued. You may also tell the king that because he humbled himself when he heard the book of the law and sought God in sorrow and repentance, the king will not witness the punishment that will come on Judah. He will die in peace and be buried with his fathers. Leaving Huldah's presence, the men delivered the bitter and sweet message to Josiah. When the king heard God's will, he was disheartened. But the fact that he could do nothing to prevent Judah's demise did not alter his determination to make every effort to lead the nation to righteousness. He dedicated his life to God, determined to make every moment count for good in the nation. King Josiah set to work to educate his people in hopes it might lead to their repentance. He commanded the leaders of the land and as many people as could make it to congregate at the temple in Jerusalem to hear Hilkiah read from the book of the law. After Hilkiah finished reading from the law, Josiah stood before the people and led them in prayer. O oh, great God of Israel, we have just had your laws read to us, word for word as you gave to Moses. The king prayed. We know your laws are good, just, and righteous. We know that by living them, we are given health, prosperity, and protection. We know firsthand that disobedience brings curses, misery, and poverty. We now come before you to declare our intentions of changing the path we were on. We promise to serve you with all our hearts, minds, and souls. It is only with your help that we can, and we humbly ask you now to give us this strength. As Josiah concluded this covenant with God and the people, the people loudly voiced their approval of this agreement. Encouraged, King Josiah began to rally the people. The first place to start is to destroy all the remaining idols and instruments of pagan worship. He declared, Hilkiah, go through the temple thoroughly. Remove any idols that may have been left. Everyone else, go throughout Jerusalem and gather any pagan objects you find. Be thorough. Leave no remnant of pagan religion behind. Despite the previous work done to cleanse the temple, it was obvious the job had not been thorough. Many pots and smaller articles used to worship Baal were discovered and removed. These items joined the pagan religious tools collected from the city in a massive pile outside the city walls. Once the temple and city were cleansed, King Josiah ordered the pile to be crushed and burned completely. Yet even that was not good enough. He then ordered his men to gather all the ash and debris left from the fire and take it north to the city of Bethel to dispose of there.
Despite Bethel's early history with God from the time of Jacob, it had become the center of wicked idolatry in the northern kingdom by the pagan priests of Jeroboam. While the men from Judah were at Bethel, they dug up the bones of any known heathen priest and burned them on the altar there. This fulfilled a 350-year-old prophecy made by an unnamed prophet from Judah to Israel's first king, Jeroboam. This astounding prophecy stated that a man named Josiah would burn the bones of the pagan priests upon the pagan altar. This unnamed prophet ended up buried in a sepulcher in Bethel, and it served as a reminder to Israel and Judah of this prophecy about Josiah for generations. When Josiah fulfilled the prophecy 350 years later, the people still knew exactly what he had prophesied. This was absolute proof Nobody could deny that Josiah was doing the work of the Almighty God. Josiah's renewed efforts to remove the centuries' worth of idolatry from Judah extended as far north as Samaria. His men sought out and punished all remaining pagan priests. Houses and buildings belonging to pagan temple prostitutes, both male and female, were torn down and burned. Even as Josiah raced to purge idolatry from Judah and Samaria, the spring holy days were quickly approaching. The Jews had seldom observed God's holy days since idolatry had become so widespread. Yet Josiah's offensive against Judah's idolatry meant that many people were enthusiastic about the approaching holy days. The king sent out an urgent and solemn proclamation to all of Judah. He wanted every family to ensure that they were prepared for Passover and the days of unleavened bread. Josiah passionately wanted to please God by observing the holy days correctly. The Passover was observed with great solemnity and thousands of animals were sacrificed. Josiah provided 33,000 animals from his own herds and flocks. The Bible calls it the greatest Passover since the days of Samuel the prophet. God was deeply moved by all the good works of Josiah and the nation. Yet those works did not change his mind about the future punishment of Judah. Many years after the Jews kept this greatest of all spring holy day celebrations, an officer hurried to the king with distressing news. Thousands of Egyptian troops are marching into our land! When the prophetess Huldah told the king that God would delay Judah's captivity until after Josiah's death, the king and the people were initially troubled. Josiah was only 26 years old when he received God's word through the prophetess. Even though Judah's survival was tied to his longevity, his youth surely meant the nation had many years left. Josiah and the people became complacent and self-confident. Many reasoned God would not let this righteous king die young. Years later, Josiah's optimism about the nation's future took a hit when he received the first report of Egypt's army. 
complete with cavalry and hundreds of chariots making its way into Judah. Reports continued to come about the army's rapid advance northward on the Via Maris toward Megiddo. Was this the beginning of God's punishment on Judah? The king wondered. An army of this size could easily lay his kingdom waste. The Egyptian army has continued northward toward Mark Carmel. The latest messenger reported to the king. None of the force has turned inland. Although relieved that the imminent threat of battle seemed to have passed, the king was upset that a foreign army had entered Judean territory without permission. Before he could send any messages, Egyptian emissaries arrived at the palace. King Nico, who was leading his army on this campaign, had sent the messengers directly to King Josiah. King Nico declares he has no quarrel with King Josiah or the people of Judah, the lead ambassador assured Josiah. We will not harm your people or take your possessions. King Nico intends to travel to Carchemish and free it from Babylonian rule. King Nico trusts that there will be no interference in his army's march northward. The man continued, but then he warned. If there is any opposition, the people of Judah will suffer heavily. God himself has told us to go to Carchemish and fight against the Babylonians. Anyone who attempts to interfere will be dealt with severely. After the Egyptian officials left, Josiah sat in thought. Let it be so, but I don't believe these pagans' claims to be doing the will of God, he finally said. Let them fight each other for us. I do not want to become entangled in a war on our own soil. An Egyptian victory means we will be free from the yoke of Babylon. The fall of Assyria does not mean we have come under Babylonian hegemony. An Egyptian defeat will cost us. An officer reminded Josiah. For as long as we are vassals to Babylon, we will be expected to fight against any invasion by Egypt. We are considered a buffer nation between them and their western empire. If we fail to attack the Egyptians, we could pay heavily if the Chaldeans suspect our loyalties. The last report we received was that the Egyptians were already north of Judah and near the plains of Sharon. Josiah interjected. We wouldn't be able to intercept them in time. There is still a chance. Another officer interjected. On their way to Carchemish, they will probably take the route passing through the valley of Megiddo to Damascus in order to make the passage easier on their chariots. We could quickly march north on the central ridge route and hit their flank as they cut inland. Josiah did not want to fight with the Egyptians. But he also did not want to face the repercussions should the Babylonians prove victorious. Despite not being completely convinced, Josiah decided to commit to a battle. As the officer had predicted, Josiah's army overtook the Egyptians in the valley of Megiddo. I went to great trouble to warn the king of Judah, and this is how he repays me. King Nico growled to one of his officers. Let's end this quickly. Instruct the archers to target the royal chariot, no matter where it is on the battlefield. King Nico had supposed Josiah would follow tradition and wear royal regalia and armor, riding in his own protected chariot. But Josiah had considered this and disguised himself as a normal charioteer. 
During the first clash between the two armies, the Egyptian archers did not see their target, the royal chariot. The two armies struggled throughout the heat of the day, each trying to get the upper hand. As the battle became desperate, the Egyptian archers began shooting at any charioteer within range. As if by divine guidance, an Egyptian arrow struck the king between two plates of his armor, piercing deep into Josiah's body. The sudden sharp pain caused Josiah to gasp out loud. He looked down and saw blood flowing from his wound. Get me into another chariot before the Egyptians discovered that they have wounded me. Josiah hurriedly commanded. The king was quickly transferred to a second chariot and returned with great haste to Jerusalem. Once Judah's army retreated, the Egyptians continued to move northward to Carchemish. Despite every effort to save him, King Josiah died from his wound on the way back to Jerusalem. He was 39 years old. Josiah was buried in the tomb of the kings. He was the last of the righteous kings of Judah. There has never been a king who sought after God with his whole heart, mind, and soul like Josiah did. The young prophet Jeremiah gave the eulogy at King Josiah's funeral. Rather than focusing on the positive fruits of Josiah's life, Jeremiah focused on the dark future that Judah faced. The nation had passed the point of no return. While individuals could still repent before God, Judah would go into captivity. The nation had enjoyed peace and a brief glimmer of light during King Josiah's rule. Although he died in the midst of a battle, his legacy was one of peace. His death was a tremendous moment in the history of the nation. Many of the people knew that his death foreshadowed Judah's dark future. They knew about the prophecies they knew what they faced now that he was taken out of the way. They knew the nation was facing its last days. Despite the righteous king's many reforms, most of Judah's inhabitants remained so steeped in sin, they did not believe that God would punish them. They were heedless of the grave danger about to befall them. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.